Hi, Grace. Hi, University. How are you going? Hi, we're, we're just saying hello to you all for this Sunday morning from our Friday morning Beth Moore study group. We've had such an encouraging and happy time together exploring this Thessalonian study. So I hope that you guys will all have a great time together as we listen to the word this morning on Sunday. Thanks and enjoy your day. Bye. 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 Hey, everybody. Great to be with you again. Uh, and great to hear from uh, the Beth Moore Bible Study uh, and to see them on the screen. Uh, if you'd like to video yourself and say hi to everyone, we'd love to add that in on a Sunday. So uh, just send them to us at the office and uh, we'd love to include them. Maybe you in a group, you and your family, uh, online, whatever it is. Uh, we'd love to uh, get some little videos from you saying hi to everyone else. So, so please do that. Well, today uh, we're coming to the last few chapters of uh, Nehemiah, chapters 11 to 13. And um, last week, Kate looked at um, the spiritual revival that God's people in Jerusalem go through. And she did such a brilliant job of that. It was a great preach. And uh, it's very exciting to see what happens, how uh, they recommit themselves to God and declare that He is the one they are living for. Uh, it's really the high point of the story. And uh, if it were a movie, uh, then I guess it would be a great place to end. You can just see it, Nehemiah, played by Harrison Ford, maybe, or Hugh Jackman, uh, or maybe he's played by Chris Hemsworth. I guess it depends on your age, which one you're going to pick as the hero. And uh, Nehemiah, the hero, he's achieved his purpose. The walls are built. Uh, the people have responded and turned to God. What a great uh, way to end. It's a real climax, real exciting spot. Uh, everything has come through and uh, the people are moving forward with God. Well, the Bible is very much real life. It's not a movie. It's not just a script someone has written, but it's real life. And so there are a few more chapters uh, that follow that high point that we're going to look at today. So let me give you a bit of a summary because it's too much to read of what happens uh, in chapters 11 to 13. And so what we see first is that uh, once the walls are restored the city now needs to be populated and so uh, there are volunteers uh, from amongst the Jews who are going to live in Jerusalem but there are also people who are conscripted so they cast lots uh, and every one out of ten is chosen uh, to come and live in Jerusalem so the city is repopulated and becomes uh, a vibrant city again the next thing that we see is the dedication of the new walls that have been built. And I love the way Nehemiah does it. He sends these two choirs off around the walls, going in opposite directions and then meeting again. And these choirs uh, that walk on the walls, they sing glory to God, giving thanks to God for what he has done. In chapter 12, verse 43, it says that the choirs rejoiced because God had given them great joy. It's a wonderful picture. I love it because God loves thanksgiving. He loves it when we give thanks for all he has done in our lives. And he gives us great joy. That's his response 
to us as we come with thanksgiving as he pours out great joy on us. So let's be a thankful people. There's so much that God has done in your life this week. Uh, let's give thanks for that. Even as you come uh, to watch this today, afterwards, take some time and you know maybe put on a worship song. Give thanks to God for all that he has done. Then in chapter 13, uh, we see that while Nehemiah is away, he's gone back to Babylon to uh, be with King Artaxerxes. Uh, we don't know how long he's away, but it seems to be a fair uh, time that he is away. And while he is away, uh, things start to fall apart. It's a bit like that old uh, saying, while the cat's away, can't remember how the rest of it goes. But anyway, while the cat's away, uh, everyone gets up to a whole lot of mischief. Uh, and so sadly, uh, while he's away, we see the effects of power, of money, start to corrupt the good that's been in place. The people stop putting God first. And once again, they focus on their personal preferences and what they think is in their immediate best interests. It's a very sad ending. Uh, and when Nehemiah returns... Uh, he takes action, actually pretty violent action in some uh, circumstances. He actually beats the men and pulls their hair out. He's so cross and angry with the way that they are behaving. He confronts uh, four main issues. Firstly is uh, power. Tobiah, uh, one of the leaders, he's moved in and annexed some of the temple rooms and they've allowed him to do that. So he clears them out uh, and clears Tobiah out of those rooms. He also sees that Judah is not paying their tithe. They're not giving uh, to God as they were called to do and as they had committed to do. And so the result of that was that the Levites and the singers uh, could not be looked after. They couldn't stay and serve in the temple as they were called to do. Instead, they had to go out and work in the fields to be able to live because they were meant to live off the tithe that was brought in. And they weren't able to do that because the people were not giving. Thirdly, we see that they were desecrating the Sabbath. Uh, by selling and trading on that day. It was one of the laws that they were not allowed to work on the Sabbath and they were ignoring uh, what God had for them. They were ignoring the rest God had spoken about and they were desecrating that because I guess they could make more money if they traded seven days a week. So uh, finance uh, was driving um, their decisions. And fourthly, uh, he confronts them marrying foreigners from the surrounding tribes and says they're not allowed to do that. They're meant to be God's people. Remember, this is Old Testament. Uh, the New Testament is very different to that, but they were not meant to intermarry with the tribes around them. And so after all of this, we see that Nehemiah seems uh, pretty distraught as he sees really the human condition of always falling back into our personal preferences and doing what's best for us. It's kind of where sin, uh, where we default back to is actually, I'm just going to do what's best for me. I'm going to live for myself. And Nehemiah, uh, obviously, he can only really look out for himself. And so he asked God twice in chapter 13 to remember him 
for what he has done. And then the story ends with him asking God to remember him with favour. To remember him with favour. So what can we make of this end of Nehemiah and where it gets to? Uh, what, is, what can we make of this story? You might be pleased to know I've just got one point, one thing for us to focus on this morning. Because it's so important for us to understand that as we look at this failure, we need to understand the difference between the covenant based on the law that existed between God and his people in Nehemiah's time and the new covenant based on grace that exists now between us as God's people and God. Just to explain that word covenant, another word for it is agreement. It's the agreement between God and his people uh, on how they can relate to God. You could put it like this. What is the basis for the agreement that enables us, the created beings, to relate to our creator? So we've got this old agreement and a new agreement. But what is the basis that these agreements are on? Well, in Nehemiah's time, the Israelites' connection to God was based on the 613 laws of the Torah, the law of Moses. There were 613 laws that they had to keep. And that was virtually impossible to do. And because it was impossible, they then had to sacrifice animals for forgiveness, for their wrongdoings and for their disobedience. So their relationship with God was based on them being good enough. And as we see in the story of Nehemiah, while at times they stepped up and they put God first and there was some revival in their hearts and they stepped up to living as he wanted them to live. But what we see in Nehemiah is that they then fall back again into that me-centered behavior. And so they come up short of what God expected. God expected them to live in a certain way. They have periods of stepping up to that, but then they fall short again of what God expected. So I wonder if you feel like that today. I wonder if you feel like that today. Do you feel you have fallen short of what God expects and so are unacceptable to him today? And be honest now, because I know as a Christian, you know the right thing to say. Don't just give me the correct answer. I would love you to think about what is really deep down your feeling. Do you feel that you've fallen short and that actually you aren't acceptable to God because you haven't been good enough? You haven't done all that he requires. And there's no point in trying to fool anyone because it's only yourself, really, that you're fooling. God is not fooled. Perhaps even last week, as you listened to Kate's excellent message about spiritual revival, you, you thought, yeah, I feel stirred to take action. 
And I hope you did because that's the intent. I hope you felt stirred. Yeah, God, I want to press into you more. But maybe you thought, well, actually, there's some adjustments I need to make about how I'm living. I hope that was your response. Maybe she used the example of watching Netflix. Uh, and instead of watching so much Netflix, maybe focus time on God. Maybe you thought last week, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. Well, now, a week later, you find that um, that good intention, maybe it's drifted and slid slightly through the week. And that good heart that you set out with at the beginning of the week is not quite in the same place now at the end of the week. And so when you think back on that, you again feel, well, I've, I've fallen short again of what God expected. And am I really acceptable to him. If you are not a Christian and you are watching this, then um, that may sound familiar because as you look at various religions around the world, that's what they look like. They basically say you need to behave in a certain way uh, to become acceptable to whatever God it is that they are worshipping. That's the basis of most religions. Live this way and then you become acceptable to our God. So Nehemiah, um, when we, we read this, we kind of left with a sense of hopelessness. How can we ever be good enough for God? He's tried, he's done his work, he's pulled the people through, they've got to a high point, uh, but then once again fallen short. And so we come to the only answer, the new agreement that God's made with humankind. And thankfully and wonderfully there is a new agreement. And this agreement is the complete opposite of the first one. So where the first one was based on us living in a certain way, this new agreement is based on God's actions, not ours. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. You see, God knowing that we'd never live up to the expectations of the law chose to be the ultimate sacrifice for us. So Jesus Christ, God's Son, came to earth. He was killed on a cross in our place as a perfect human, killed um, when he had done no wrong, killed in our place and thereby fulfilling all the requirements of this law, all those things that we had to live up to, those uh, 613 laws, all fulfilled so that whoever believes in him, whoever believes in Jesus Christ, can then become acceptable to God. We call this grace. We call this grace. It is God's unmerited favor on those who believe. And that means that all our wrongdoing, the past, the present, and the future is dealt with, and we now know a completely restored relationship with God. So 
If you want to know God, the creator of the universe, then believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and he will make you a child of God. But I want to speak uh, really to those of us who are Christians this morning, who have been saved by this glorious grace of God, but then we continue to allow the law to judge us, to judge us. And so again and again, we feel like failures before God never being good enough. Do you feel like that? I know I feel like that at times. And when we live in that place, it affects our joy. It affects our fruitfulness for God. Because despite the fact that now we have the very power of the Holy Spirit available to us, Again and again, we tell ourselves that we are not good enough. We're not good enough even to use what God has given us. If he's given you spiritual gifts, we can tell ourselves, well, actually today I'm not good enough because I thought about that. Because I didn't have my quiet time this morning. There's so many reasons that we put up to say, well, because of this, I am not good enough. We need to acknowledge that our failure to live up to the declaration that we made to put God first is exactly why God has made our relationship with him based on Jesus rather than on us. That's why there's this new agreement. It's because we fail, because we cannot live up to the moments of saying, yes, God, I want to live for you. Because we sin, because of our disobedience, because if it was based on us, we would never make it. And so this new agreement is based on Jesus Christ, not on ourselves. And when we act like it does depend on us, we give in to Satan's condemnation, telling us that we are not good enough for God. That is Satan's condemnation. That's the best that he can do is tell you you're not good enough. You haven't done that. You haven't done this. But you see your relationship with God is not based on what you've done. It is based on Jesus Christ and him alone. Thank you, Lord. The reality is that we are as much acceptable to God having failed as when we make the heartfelt declaration saying, God, I want to live for you. Now we need to allow God to pick us up, to step into his grace that enables us to say yes to God and let him continue to change us to be more like him as we persevere in his grace and strength. It's like being in a marriage. Once you're a Christian, you know, when you're in a marriage, a husband and wife, uh, you have issues, you may have a problem, you may have a disagreement. Well, uh, if you do any marriage course, generally they will teach you that the way to handle those issues is to look at them from the point of view of standing next to each other. If I'm standing here and you uh, are my wife and this is an issue, if this is the issue that is standing between us and you're over there and I'm over here, uh, then we kind of fight over this issue 
that is standing between us. It's a block. But when you come around and you are standing with me, or I come around and I'm standing with you, and together we face this issue, it's a very different scenario. And standing together as one, as husband and wife, we face the challenge. Well, actually, it's like that for us as Christians in how we deal with sin. You see, uh, because of God's grace, we are in Christ. We are sons and daughters of the living God. We are standing with him. And so we stand with him in this place of acceptance and love. And from here, we look to deal with the issues and sin in our lives. We look to deal with the areas where uh, we, we're putting ourselves first rather than God. But this is the place that we are standing in God, full of love and acceptance. It's the place that we stand in to deal with sin. And as we're in this place, he'll convict us of sin. He'll challenge us where uh, we are putting ourselves first. But he will not undermine the safety and security in which we stand. It's so important that we know where we are standing. And as we deal with sin, we are in God. That's the position we are coming from. Nehemiah's final plea, the last words of the book of Nehemiah are, Remember me with favor, O my God. Well, you, Christian, actually don't need to pray that prayer because Jesus has ensured that you have the favor of God on your life. It's a done deal because it's based on who Jesus is. So now we need to live in it. Now we need to live in it. And until we learn to actually live in God's grace, we need to learn that until we let it move from just some agreed-to head knowledge, yeah, I know this has happened, we need to let that become something that, I don't know if it even sits in our heart, it kind of sits in our gut. It's a foundation. It's something that sits within us. It's in our, our very core that we are in Christ, that our relationship with God is based on Jesus, not on how well we do. That's where it's got to sit, at our very core. Because until that is a reality, we're going to struggle to know the joy and victory which has been won for us, the freedom that Christ has won for us. As I said before, I know I preach this to myself as much as to you because I know that I can let myself be deceived into disqualifying myself at times. And that's a lie. You see, Jesus has qualified me and he has qualified you to be God's son and to live a holy life. You've been qualified. You've been graduated. You've been given what you need. It's a lie that you are disqualified because that salvation rests in Jesus Christ, who he is, what he has done, not based on you. So let me wrap this up by asking you again. Are you going to continue living in the place of Satan's condemnation? Or are you going to choose to live 
in Christ's freedom, living in the grace of God which has been won for us. Where's your heart sitting right now? What's the foundation that you are sitting on? Let me pray. Lord, we thank you for your incredible, amazing, wonderful grace. That grace that is unmerited, that is unlimited, that has no end. Lord, we thank you so much for it that my relationship with you is based on you and what you have done. It's not based on how well I do. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Because, because of that, I can stand secure and we can know that today we can rest in you and we can know joy and victory as we stand in you. Lord, won't you come right now and help us in this, Lord, that it would not be something that we just know in our heads, but becomes more and more the very foundation out of which we live, the foundation out of which we act and speak. Lord, we want to be men and women who live in the goods of the grace that you have won for us. It changes everything, Lord. It means my life can be laid down because I'm found in you. So please come. Come, Holy Spirit. Come and massage this into us afresh today. Lord, we don't want to be, like we read in Nehemiah, having some moments of spiritual revival and then crashing down and feeling, wow, where can I go? But knowing, Lord, that we are found in you. So come stir us, call us again to holiness, call us to revival, Lord, but call us as we stand in this place, right next to you, right in you, so safe, so secure, so accepted that we can never be more accepted. Come and speak that to us afresh today. Come and deal with condemnation. I pray that you would expose the enemy's lies in people's lives right now, that where they've been condemned, where things have been spoken to them, won't you reveal that right now, the enemy's condemnation? Lord, come and loose them from that, break them free from that, I ask in your name, Lord Jesus. Come and bring the freedom that you've won for them. Don't let them be sold again into slavery, bound again by uh, Satan's condemnation. Come, loose them, free them, I pray. Let them live in the goods of all that you have won for us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. I'd love uh, to pray with you further if you would like that. Um, so we're going to put some contact details. If you don't have them up on the screen, just send a message, an email, and uh, I'd love to be in contact. We can pray on the phone. I know we can't meet together, but we can pray together. I'd love to do that if you would like that. So thanks so much for listening to this. Be blessed and enjoy the grace of God. Amen.